1: Hi, I'm Anand Patel.
2: And I'm Naomi Sheldon.
1: And we're your hosts of The Pleasure Podcast. I'm a doctor specialising in sexual function.
2: And I'm a writer with an interest in the internet.
1: We talk to guests to help us understand the relationship we have with our bodies when it comes to sex and intimacy.
2: It's a whole new kind of sex education for your owl... Careful. ...pleasure.
1: <laughs> in this week's episode of The Pleasure Podcast, we have a rare interview with Wild Iris. Wildaris is a sex worker and queer woman of colour who started in sex work due to the challenges her autism presented in more traditional workplaces. Wildaris discusses sex work as a business and her experiences of having sex with men in order to fund her true passions in life. We've changed her name and voice to protect her anonymity.
3: I've just found it really difficult to be part of the working world in like what would be called civilian work so I did have what people would call like a respectable job before sex work and I just hated it um I was the only non-white person and it was just kind of subtle racism all day every day whatever job I've had it's always been something that's been really really painful and difficult to deal with whether it's like homophobia and am um, I'm lesbian or racism often I'm also autistic and working environments are not set up at all for um autistic people because so much of kind of career building and networking happens through subtle social interaction that really shuts out neurodiverse people And that combination of events has just meant that I've just really struggled to work. I've basically never really been able to hold down a job. I've always just had to leave because I've just become ill from the working environment. And just in general, work is really tough. I don't think that we're made to be stuck inside an office for 30 hours a week. It got to a point where I just thought I cannot do this for the rest of my life and I don't want to I want a job that pays me what I need to to live but also I'm not doing it 30 40 hours a week just to survive I had a close friend who was a sex worker and I saw them how they go about their job and I saw the ups and downs of it and I thought well I would rather try this and at least make the same amount of money for fewer hours than just keep doing this job that is absolutely destroying me I did a lot of research into sex work before I started it. I did probably like two or three months worth of online research.
2: What sort of things were you researching? So I was
3: looking at it from a sex worker's point of view, but also looking at it from a client's point of view. So, for example, I would Google like Indian escort London and see what would come up and see what the market was like. I Googled stuff around the law and taxes and kind of my future prospects. In the end, it just seemed like a more viable way of living. I... I've always been drawn to customer service work. It makes me feel really fulfilled. And I get to use that skill a lot in sex work for better or for worse. I'm also a very independent person and sex work involves a lot of admin. I'd say like 70% of my time is emails and website development. And actually, I don't enjoy it, but I also really, really enjoy it.
0: It's
2: being a freelancer, so, yeah,
3: isn't it? Setting great. up your own yeah, business. exactly. Being <laughs> a businesswoman. Um, so independent work is on paper legal in the UK uh, which is decriminalised, and then brothel work is illegal in the UK. So that's the big difference between the two of them. Um, that comes with a lot of, like, classism and racism. So... It- kind of association is that like migrant workers tend to work in brothels and then they're more heavily criminalised. It's a route into deportation, whereas independent workers tend to get kind of left alone by the police. Or if we are looked upon favourably, which no sex worker really is. But, you know, if we are independent sex workers kind of get seen as like high class escorts or something, whereas brothel workers kind of get seen as more on the lower end of the scale. Um, It's an interesting caste dynamic, isn't it? Yeah. It's just all down to the legalisation of it. I mean, it's just, it's whorephobia. But most people will do mixed work. And I think that's something that people don't really understand about sex workers. Most people I know, including myself, will either have considered or will actively be doing multiple types of sex work. So they might be doing agency on the weekend, independent in the evenings after school or after they pick up their kids or something.
2: I imagine being independent, you might not have necessarily the support network that you might feel in agency work or at least within a brothel. Yeah.
3: I can't speak of support networks in brothels and agencies because I've never worked in one. Sure. But independently, yeah, it does get lonely. I can go like whole days without seeing someone. I'm very, very, very lucky because I live with someone who's a sex worker. So... I'm so grateful for that every day. Like, I can come home and I can talk to someone about my work. Most people don't have that privilege. You do have to keep this to yourself. You can't tell someone about your career. You know, you can't just tell people at parties and stuff. So what do but, you say? It depends on the context. Sometimes I make up really frivolous lies, just for fun. Um, your writing
1: background, I imagine, comes from yeah. your imagination. <laughs> like
3: I'm actually descended of an, a princess. No, I'm, oh, yes. yeah. Um Sometimes I do just say I'm a sex worker. Um, I've never yet had a good response to it. Really? Yeah. What I'm, kind of? I'm holding out. Do you get I at? get a lot of bewilderment. I get a lot of like, "What is that?" Even though it's pretty much in the name, <laughs> and I know that people know what it is. They just can't really fathom that I'm doing it. Yeah. So They're like, "What does that mean?" <laughs> um,
1: I can get you just check, why. Why can they not fathom that you might be doing it?
3: Because they get to know me, and they get to talk to me, and they like me, and then they find out I'm a prostitute, and they don't understand that someone they like could be a prostitute. I think most people's ideas of prostitution is that people who do it are dirty, stupid, haven't got anything else going on in their lives. Actually, we're just like normal women and we're actually great and really, really funny and really hardworking. And we're just doing a job that gives us what we need in that moment. But most people can't really conceive of it that way because we're having sex. And so we're kind of tainted, especially sex for money, especially because I'm brown. And the ideas like, but aren't you supposed to be really sexually repressed and like really backwards? And do you even know how to have sex? It's always that kind of like underlying like shock that I actually have a sexuality because um, I'm mostly desexualized by people.
1: Because you were a... Because
3: I'm around women, yeah. Um, and also because I'm a dyke and kind of like I've never seen before, even though we're everywhere. I think when I meet people out in the wider world, they're just baffled at the idea that... I have a body, or like I experience pleasure. That I have a brain, that I have intellect. And then if you couple that with me being a sex worker, it's like two seemingly opposing things. Like I'm supposed to be brown and really desexualized, but I'm also a whore, and I'm supposed to be really filthy and like kind of tainted and disgusting. And they, the two
1: just don't marry. It does. Make me understand how pigeonholed people can be. Mm. I am meant, I am pigeonholed by my family. I'm meant Mm. to be the good behaved son that became a doctor that Mm. did very well at exams. You know, I should play cricket, for example, Mm. which I did play cricket. And I do like these stereotypes are sometimes there for a reason.
3: Yeah.
1: However. What was challenging for them was me being gay. Yeah. They were like, but you're, but you're really good mm-hmm. and you behave really well and you look up, you know, you like your grandma and you love yeah. your mother and you, you know, you, you're a good family member. Like these things cannot happen all yeah. at the same time. Uh, and it's taken them a long time to catch mm-hmm. up.
2: You said that, am I right thinking that in the queer spaces even, mm-hmm. there's still this real binary attitude to both your ethnicity and then your work
3: yeah oh yeah i mean um i don't get involved in mainstream lgbt or queer spaces because that's probably where i experience the most racism so i haven't done any of that in years that
2: blows my mind i just did not expect that i assumed Mm. that it would be about being a collective and about being extremely inclusive in all aspects of people's identity
3: have you um ever read anything by james baldwin no Well, highly recommend. But also, um, there's a quote that I'm going to butcher, so I'll just paraphrase it. But he says, obviously, he was a black gay man. And he wrote something about how, in his experience, like white gay people don't really want liberation from homophobia. They're just upset that being gay hasn't afforded them their full white privilege. And so they're just angry that they're not allowed full whiteness. And that's my experience of white queer spaces like the kind of collective unity is not really about oppression it's just about needing to get to that full whiteness i and many queer people i know we don't get involved in white queer spaces um but even in any queer space um there does tend to be a lot of lack of knowledge about sex work like we are kind of known of like in the abstract like people do have a vague idea in liberal spaces that sex workers Need to be supported, but that's about as far as it goes. So I won't get any open hostility, but I will get a lot of bewilderment or a lot of just like discomfort. Um, One thing that happens to me a lot is that people around me are getting very sensible graduate jobs and so at parties people are talking about their very sensible graduate jobs and then the conversation will turn to me and someone will say what do you do and if I feel comfortable I'll say I'm a sex worker and the conversation just completely changes and nobody will ask me about my work whereas they have no issue talking about their own work for a long time. Droning um, <laughs> so, on and yeah. on and on.
2: You suddenly got me thinking, yeah. what is like the five-year, the 10-year plan? Yeah. What is the career development opportunities?
3: Mm. Well, for me, for yeah. sex work, I just want to keep making the bare minimum that I need to live in the world so that I have free time to do what I really enjoy doing. Time is the most important thing to me.
1: And when you said that, what you really enjoy doing?
3: Oh, um, animal rescue. Oh, yeah, really? So that's kind of my like side it's not even a side job it's like it's my life and it's my job it's your passion really. and yeah it's just not paid and I never want it to be paid like you know sex work is not as well paid as people think it is but it gives you more flexibility with your time and that's the most important thing that I need
2: you're a lesbian mm. and so do you see all kinds of people or only women
3: no I mean people's sexualities are not really related to the work they do in sex work I don't think I'd want to see women at work. I think that would be really complicated and it would be really hard work um, <laughs> that I'm not prepared to do. I do advertise as like I see everyone, but most of my clients are cis and straight men. I've had a couple of bisexual men who've wanted to kind of kink services um, that I think maybe they're not out to their wives, but yeah, most of them are like okay. cisgender straight men.
2: And what is yeah. your sort of bread and butter client like?
3: Mm. Oh, I think they come in kind of like three groups. One is like kind of white city business dude. Second is kind of like middle aged Asian men. And then third is young graduate Asian men. And when I started working, I didn't think I would see so many brown men. In my personal life, brown men have never been interested in me. They've seemed kind of like ashamed to have any kind of interest in me. They've always seemed like it's kind of like masculinizing for them to be attracted to a brown woman because we're so masculinized. So it's almost like gay for them, whereas like for them to be with a white woman is like pinnacle of sexual prowess or whatever. My whole life anyway, I felt like brown men have never wanted to publicly have me on their arm because that brings up a lot of gender anxiety for them. And we're kind of seen as shameful, frigid creatures to be with, or to invest sexual desire in publicly. But interestingly, in the dark, behind the curtains, brown men, actually what they say to me is like, they don't want to sleep with white girls. They want to sleep with an Indian girl. It's like when no one's looking, they want me. And then those are my brown clients. And then I have white clients who have some kind of fetish that they are not really disclosing, but I know it's there. Relating yeah. to skin colour? Not, like, explicitly skin colour. Just the idea of me being kind of exotic or animalistic. There's some kind of idea that I have some kind of magic vagina just because I'm brown and I can do, like, exotic tricks with it. I mean, that's not true, but it gets them into my room. So <laughs> it's fine, you know, whatever. I'll exploit it. Yeah. Um, You work the buttons you need to work. Yeah, exactly. I didn't make the racism, I just exploited it.
2: My brain just went into all those different ways of how a vagina could do exotic (laughs) tricks. What could they be?
3: I know, if only I actually could, that would
1: be a moneymaker. But But it's extraordinary that sort of uh, viewpoint of people as other. And as other, they can't possibly be someone you could actually make a life with. Mm. But they are someone you could experience in small aliquots Mm. you know you could pay for their time but you couldn't take them out for a drink
3: yeah oh exactly yeah and that really comes into sex worker politics as well i mean there are a lot of um luxury escorts and service they provide is like dinner dates so you spend two hours in a nice hotel and you spend two hours privately but you know it's overwhelmingly white all thin sex workers or cis sex workers who get those bookings because there's only a certain type of women that people will want in public on their arm. So yeah, a lot of like othering politics are involved in sex work, just like in any other work.
2: And do you have some of these clients who are um, regulars? Is that an important part mm. of the work? Yeah.
3: So I try and make sure I angle all my clients to becoming regulars, even if I really hate them. You no, know, Unless they're like, really dangerous and I never want to see them again. I try and make them feel really special and do little things to make sure that they will come back a second time. Um, I have a few regulars now. And it's weird, like, I have to keep coming up with lies, like every time I see them, like, you know, the first time you just make up whatever you want, you know, you just make a lie and small talk, and it's fine. The second time you see them, you think, oh, no, I actually have to kind of make it continuous and like keep going with the persona. So even though I have regulars, um, I think it's much easier for myself in terms of being autistic just to have people I've never seen and like never see them again because I don't have to worry about maintaining a persona and like doing all the social interaction and like really building a quotation mark relationship
2: and um, is there much social interaction then it Is sort of building a relationship and
3: with some of my regulars yeah I mean it's not a lot it's just about making them feel special and you know if they say if they mention something in the last booking I'll just bring it up in the second booking and make them feel like I really remember who they are and stuff like that.
2: But I'm wondering about the the personal um, untruths, the kind of Uh, like what, you know, what kind of things you feel like you have to tell, say Mm. or make up about yourself.
3: Um, I usually just keep my cards close to my chest. So if they don't ask information, I will not reveal it because they haven't paid for that. Um, But if they ask me questions sometimes they do like what do you do uh what's your five-year plan do you really want to do this forever do you actually have any real hobbies etc so it gets a bit insulting after mm. a while um is there any just,
1: particular group that does those I questions all of them <laughs> <laughs> all
3: men um i just make something off like sometimes i just say i'm a student sometimes i say no i love doing the studies all the time whatever i feel like um it only gets tricky when they come back and i have to remember what lie i fed them but it's just, you know, a small thing to get through the day, like telling them a stupid lie to like, j- joke about with my friends afterwards. Um... <laughs> But you asked about if there's any, like, personal interaction, is that right? So it was quite interesting, because I was thinking about this on the way here, um, that there's a kind of idea that sex workers are really therapists, or, like, we're really society's therapists, or we're doing God's work by taking care of these men, and actually what we do is cuddle them and listen to them. And if you read a kind of um, certain sex worker interviews, where people will ask them, so what do you actually do in a booking? A lot of them will say, oh, we we don't even want have sex, we just cuddle. And I just want to say, we do have sex, like... My work is mostly fucking men and that's fine. Like, I don't need to be a therapist and I don't need to be a cuddler or a masseuse or something really benign and acceptable for people to consider sex work to be okay. And I think there's a kind of like trend or like idea that sex workers are are okay in public when we're only talking about cuddling and massaging our clients. But like, I suck dick for money and that's completely fine. And I don't really cuddle or massage my clients because I don't like doing it and I'm not their mother. And <laughs> like that's okay. Like it's fine to just be a prostitute. Um, I think it really like gets my goat when people like love hearing about how I like heal my men and they don't really want to hear me talk about, like sucking dick for half an hour yeah it makes even them, though
2: somehow it's more palatable for yeah. them yeah well it's
1: much more Madonna than whore isn't it yeah exactly it just allows you to go oh no they're okay too they're oh. nice people too and you're going well of course they're nice people but their job is just different to your yeah, job yeah
3: exactly yeah
1: I, mean, I, I just have this thing about uh, you, we were having a conversation the other day about uh, sugar babies mm. um uh, and websites where sort of uh, older richer men um can uh, can can meet generally sort of younger attractive women who are um for for dates and, and for yeah there
2: there's a documentary about it on the b b c at the moment, and it became very clear within the documentary that actually it really was sex work yeah. um but it was sort of sold as something else that it was a relationship mm. but it seemed but it became very clear that this yeah. was sexual services for money
3: yeah
1: Yeah. i find it interesting um in terms of if you are paying for a relationship if you buy every dinner if you purchase every single thing um for say a woman is that a form of legitimized elongated prostitution if for example you are getting from that relationship and what you want um, is status and money
3: yeah it's an interesting question I was well okay firstly I would say I wouldn't call it prostitution because prostitution is kind of it's a really loaded word that's really Thank connected you. to kind of what's legal and what's not so for example when people talk about the prostitute usually they're thinking of a street worker or someone who works in a brothel or someone who works indoors but for low rates so kind of like low class someone who's just kind of you know degraded by society people will not really think of sugar babies as prostitutes because they have that kind of seeming privilege of doing privileged work so I wouldn't apply the word prostitution to sugaring just because that word is so kind of stigmatized um sugaring is also stigmatized in certain ways but um me and my housemate talk about this all the time um growing up I grew up kind of near or sometimes part of some very like rich white communities where dad will go off and work the whole day couple barely have a relationship um, he funds her lifestyle, and the thing that keeps them together is sex. Um, is that a
1: form of long-term
3: sex for security? It's yeah. like
2: marriage—the the sort of the longest institution supporting sex work. Yeah, <laughs> but there's also the
1: evolutionary thing behind it. Which, so I, I've used the wrong word because I'm not actually trying to judge it at all. What I'm trying to say is, um, if we look at the evolutionary stuff, we talked about Sarah Pascoe's book, which talks about how um, to keep. Um, a man around to provide security and safety. Um, both the man and the woman can exchange gifts.
3: I think I've seen that kind of thing before. I've seen it kind of through. I've seen it with birds. There's a species of birds that give each other kind of presents for sex and mating. And I've seen that kind of kind of argument, almost kind of pro sex work argument. Like, oh, it's just natural. Um, I have to say, I heavily disagree with it. I think it runs the risk of naturalizing. For one thing, naturalizing sex, naturalizing gender, um, naturalizing sex work, making it kind of benign. If you think of it in the framework of like evolutionary and birds, I mean, yes, it sounds great. But that kind of elides like the violence of sex work. The thing is, like, I'm not being given presents and money just for being protected. I'm giving money for like unconsensual sex I don't really want to have in the context of like a capitalist hellhole that I don't want to be part of, you know, like... I think those kind of metaphors, they kind of allied the violence of, like, the structure of work. Um, Like, if work didn't exist, and if money didn't exist in the way it did, I wouldn't be doing doing sex work. Like, it's not, like, a natural thing that's come about. It's come about as a result of, like, the capitalist structure that we have today. Um, And I think, like, every so often you will see a kind of, like foxes give each other sticks as presents for having sex it happens all the time in like liberal sex work pro-sex work circles and I see the intention behind it but I never want people to think that it's natural or like okay for a man to like pay me for sex or for work to have to like coerce me into this point does that make sense it's so
2: interesting to go from the chat of like (laughs) the palatable, watered-down, sort of cut, cuddly mm. stuff that we were talking about that sex work can be portrayed as mm. versus what you're talking about, which is, and I've never heard it spoken about in this way, I suppose, you know, the violence of it, mm. well, certainly not from a, a sex worker themselves, um, that actually it's kind of, that it's unconsensual sometimes. Mm. I wonder if we could talk a bit about that. Yeah,
3: sure. I'd really like to. Something I think about a lot um, I think it's really hard for sex workers to talk about the violence we experience because we're basically put into two groups. One is that we're kind of like victims and we need to be rescued from the industry. And one is that we're like whorish harlots and like we're kind of upholding misogyny and, you know, we're just sluts and we're irresponsible and we're affecting children and we're a drain on society. And if we talk about violence we're either the met with what well, you kind of deserve it or you just shouldn't be doing this work um i think for me my experience of sex work has been like um i don't really consider the sex i have with my clients to be consensual because i don't believe you can buy consent um i don't consider it to be sex positive or empowering to my body but i also really need this job for many ways because There are also lots of other things about other types of work that have been really traumatic for me and who I am. So what's the best way to phrase it? I choose to do this job within the context of none of us really choosing to work full time and have to earn money. Um, so it's like I've chosen my specific brand of violence to commit myself to in a context of what I think is a generally exploitative violent system. It's just that mine is sexually violent. And not only is it violent from the clients, but actually specifically, it's probably even more violent from a sex work, exclusionary feminists and B institutions like the police and the government. Um, that's really where my source of violence comes from. When sex workers say um, that it's not sex work that kills, it's the stigma, people just kind of conveniently ignore that. But what, what we're really saying is like, the kind of day-to-day like pressure and violence that I receive is from the police and it's from healthcare, um, it's from other feminists, um, and it's from people in the public who just don't know or don't understand me or my work. Um, my clients are kind of incidental. Have you ever
1: suffered violence from your clients?
3: Uh, yeah, many times um sometimes it's very low grade like kind of similar to what i would just experience day-to-day life as a brown lesbian woman um sometimes it's been quite severe i've been raped i've been abused i've been like i have had attempted robbery um but i'm still very lucky and i'm not downplaying what i've experienced what i just mean to say is like it is so 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 much worse um, for someone working outdoors, for example, or someone working in a country where it's fully legal, um, even not uh, actually in Australia, where sex workers decriminalised, um, a white cis sex worker was murdered by her client last week. Um, you do work in this in- industry knowing that you are kind of steeped in misogyny and that clients don't really have any regard for you. Um, the violence is usually because it's misogyny. You know, clients have misogynistic desires i think most men do um that they act out on my body but the reason they acted out on me as opposed to their wives their girlfriends is because they know that the rest of society is also really violent towards us so for example they know that i can't go to the police and i can't really go to healthcare services if something if they do something to me um That's why sex workers are so vulnerable. It's not because we're inherently deserving of it or even because the sex industry is inherently bad. It's because society has made it so that we're isolated and kind of looked down upon. And so clients can get away with kind of killing us. Um, I think, I don't remember the name, but there was kind of like a prolific um, serial killer in this country a few decades ago. And, you know, he kind of openly admitted that the reason he only chose sex workers to kill is because you knew no one else would care or know when we died so yes there's a lot of violence from my clients but i guess if anyone's listening i just want them to know that it's for a specific reason it's not like just kind of well what do you expect men will be men it's like they do it because they've been set up to be able to get away with it a lot of my clients are like police officers just you know and politicians so that's like not a coincidence there wow yeah
2: um, ha- I'm sorry, I'm just taking this on board. That's okay. extraordinary. Thank you for sharing all this with us. You're
1: welcome. I was particularly um, horrified to hear um, how healthcare, I mean, particularly from my point of view being a GP, mm-hmm. um, I'm horrified to hear that healthcare would be a place of significant stigma and violence to you. Um, w- what can we do better?
3: Um, I would say drop all your preconceived notions about who sex workers are. Um, and just see us as people who deserve quality care. Um, The attitude that I've mostly experienced is that if I experience any violence, it's because I've kind of asked for it. And I would just ask doctors to see us as people who are just doing jobs that we need to do, not as bad women.
2: Do you find that they often come with a moral lesson for you?
3: Yeah, a lot of morals, a lot of like um, pushing me towards exit, even when I have not asked for that. I think it's different in different boroughs and hospitals, but there is a push now for GPs in certain areas to kind of, you know, if you disclose you're a sex worker, they do have to ask you, I've experienced this anyway, they ask you, like, do you want to exit? Like, it's always pushing towards exit and always pushing. By exit,
1: you mean getting out out of the
3: the work? Yeah, it's interesting, like, in other careers, you know, leaving your job and moving on to a new one is called just career building. But in this one, it's called Exit with a capital E. Like, it's written that way with a capital E. Because the idea is, obviously, we would never want anything other than just to, like, to flee from it. Because we we're all so downtrodden and so stupid. Um, but anyway.
2: Yeah, as if it were a fire escape. Yeah. That's why it's written on a fire escape. Yeah,
3: exactly. <laughs> like, the, you know, never that... We could just want to do this job, but more safely, or that we'd want to do both. Never that we're just whole people who have like our own thoughts. It's always like, you want to leave because you're downtrodden and I'm going to save you.
1: But anyway, as no, no, the of... savior thing is a really valid thing. Yeah. And I recognize that. But I think that some doctors do feel the need to save. I think um, that then if we impose that upon people who don't actually want to be mm. you know, not saved, well, not, they don't need to be saved but certainly they don't want to be judged as as needing yeah. saving, that can be really really challenging and then difficult for you to then build that relationship where you trust that person Yeah,
2: and again within yeah feminist communities this idea of we must s- s- save, them, save yeah. them which is bullshit isn't it Yeah, You've <laughs> just got to listen to people yeah exactly <laughs> there's a
3: long history of the police like specifically being used to oppress sex workers um you know one of the very first uses of the police was to raid brothels and that's kind of what they're used for now i would say to anyone listening and to both yourselves like if you're interested um or care about sex workers rights the number one thing to do is to read up on how the police treat us um because they are one of the biggest sources of violence um i'm very protected in that i work indoors and i work independently so i'm generally i know i'm not going to get raided generally i know that I'm okay. Um, In this country, like I said, working independently is legal and working in a brothel is illegal. And when most people hear that, they think, oh, good, brothels are exploitative. We must prevent women from working in brothels because brothels are bad. But actually, um, the way the law is written is that any two sex workers working together in the same space is classed as a brothel so even if those two workers have never actually met or spoken in that same building that gets classed as a brothel and so that means that you can't ever work with another sex worker for safety unless you want to get arrested so um in northern ireland where they have the nordic model where that is even more heavily enforced um two migrant sex workers were deported one of them pregnant um because a client tried to a client raped one of them they called the police um client didn't get prosecuted but the two workers were arrested on charge of running a brothel. Um, There have been many, many times when I've been with a client who's been abusive to me, one client who raped me. Um, There's been another worker in the building who I could have gone to for help. Um, But A, I know that if we called the police and the other worker was found, I would get sent to jail. Um, B, if the client knows about this law, and many of them do, they can report us. And again, we get sent to jail, they don't. So the police kind of like... Oppresses me from afar, like just the looming threat of like them arresting me um, if I ever dared to work with another person. Um, there's lots of things like that, like inciting someone into sex work, which is just like it could be anything. It could just be giving them advice on how to work safely, driving someone to a shift. All
1: of this are arrestable counts. So, your so your friend, for example, that you talked to about sex work yeah. before, just to see if actually it might be yeah. something you'd want to do. They that could be inciting could be an
3: arrestable offence. Yeah. Probably. But no, like, I would never, ever, ever, ever go to the police for help with anything. In my personal life, especially not in sex work, I don't want to be treated like a whore by the police. Um, They don't respect us, they don't treat us well, they don't take us seriously. I know so many colleagues who have been raped by police or we've been robbed, and they say, well, what do you expect, is this line of work? Or, oh, if we were out there helping every prostitute with their robbery, we'd be out there for days, like, it's not priority. Um, It makes me so angry And as
2: you say some of your clients are police officers themselves So I mean actually already it feels like well how can you report
3: them Exactly yeah and also like okay so you report someone but what does that achieve? Like the stress and the pain and the time taken in reporting someone and potentially even prosecuting them You know that takes years off your life and I know that because I've done it in my personal life My main goal with reporting someone would just be to make sure that it doesn't happen to somebody else in the industry. And we've devised our own ways of doing that within the industry. I don't want to go into because we need to keep them anonymous. But we've just made our own ways of keeping each other safe in the community outside of the police.
1: How do you think as a society we Mm. can make sex work safe?
3: Um, Well, legally, I would say decriminalisation. OK, so there are like three models of looking at sex. There are many models looking at sex work but there's one which is like, it's all illegal. So for example, in the US it's illegal. If you do it, you get sent to prison. Uh, No one who is a sex worker is allowed to enter the country. That's like most severe. Then there's like Nordic models. So it's like selling sex is legal, but buying it is illegal. That's like Northern Ireland and obviously the Nordic, Nordic countries. Then there's like partial decrim, which is where we're at. So for me to actually have sex is legal, but brothel work, solicitation, incitation, that's all illegal. Then there's full decrim, which New Zealand and Australia have which means that it is just on the same level as other jobs which what that practically means is that the workers have labour rights so they can start unions, they can take brothel owners to court, um, they can argue for like raised prices across the industry, um, they have labour rights, you know, that's why sex workers... It's like any asked, job. Yeah, I mean, that's why we ask to be called sex workers, because we want labour rights. That's a whole separate thing. Um, so I would say decriminalisation of our work. So, for example, so that I can go to the police and without fear of being arrested myself. But also decriminalisation isn't enough. Um, for example, in New Zealand, decrim exists, but migrant workers still can't do sex work. Of course, it's often migrant women with children who need to be doing sex work. So I would say not just decrim, but um, ending deportations and taking it down borders um, is actually like really instrumental to supporting sex workers because so many of us are migrants. Um, so many of us are just trying to build better lives. And then on a personal level, I would say just respect us as people. Um, there's been so much built up around the idea of the prostitute, like the homosexual, the criminal, like all these different archetypes that have got so many laws and like literature and everything that's gone into making up this figure building us up. But we are just women trying to get by in the world, like every other woman out there. Many sex workers are mothers. That's the reason they do it. Um, I would say just think of us as people. Don't see us as tainted by sex or like made loose or like that we're filthy or anything like that. Just like talk to us about our work the way you would talk to any other person about their work.
2: And when it comes to the sex... Mm -hmm. Can we just talk about that a little yeah. bit, like what happens in the room a bit? Mm-hmm. Are we talking quite sort of straight sex that yeah. are these guys are wanting? Or is it, you know, the various different types of things that no. you can offer? No. no.
3: Oh, my goodness, no. Really? that would blow their minds. No. <laughs> no. They want like, quite yeah. ordinary sex. I I guess it depends on what you define as ordinary. True. Yeah. I mean, with my clients, I would say most of it is, I kiss them... I give them a blowjob, we have sex. If they really feel very, like, spicy, we'll do cowgirl. But that's, like, as far as it goes. A lot of them like a finger in the bum. I think, like, a lot of cis straight men, like, really want anal and they can't go anywhere for it. Their wives or girlfriends don't always want to do it because of, kind of, associations with it. Or they can't even, like, vocalise it. Um, So they'll kind of come to me and they won't even say it they'll just put my finger there and i'm like okay this is what you want that's about as like far as it gets then i offer different like kink services um but that again is like not as sometimes it's kind of out there and wacky but mostly it's what i would consider quite tame stuff but i found that my i think it's six six straight men are quite repressed like they want a lot of sex all the time but the sex they want is very mediocre and very they don't want to do anything different. I think it threatens their ego or it frightens them. Um at what we do I would not call sex. I mean because I'm not straight, that's never been my experience of sex. Um do any of
1: them ever drink from cunilingus can- or from oral sex on you?
3: Oh it's horrible. Yeah. They love it. They love doing it. Um I get a lot of clients who have like a perceiving fetish. It's so bad. I would rather just have sex with them because they don't know what to do and they don't like to take directions. Um, You know, they don't... It's not really about me. Like, it's not pleasure for me. It's, like, ego-stroking for them. Like, they want to feel like a man and they want to get something out of it. So they don't really care, like, if I give them directions. It's... What I would say to people is, like, sex work is not sex. Like, it's not... It is sex. We are fucking, but it's not like pleasure sex. It's like what the clients want. It's selling them the fantasy that that it's a beautiful, passionate, intimate moment. But really, I'm just putting on a performance and giving them whatever they want off You're the acting. menu. Yeah, yeah, I'm acting. And so, because I'm not really, in, I'm just thinking about dinner or whatever, <laughs> like, you know, or thinking about my cat, which is usually what I think about. Um, it's not like pleasure. Like, I'm not, orgasming from it or anything they are but that's that's their business um so like when they do go down on me they could be amazing but I still wouldn't feel anything and nor do I want to like that's a really important boundary for me I don't want to like have sex with these men and like enjoy it um only twice I've come close to having an orgasm and I've stopped myself because I think that would be really horrible for me to like oh god have an orgasm with this man I don't know Like, that's something I want to preserve my personal life. That's
2: really interesting. that The boundaries are very clear then between work and personal life. Yeah. And does it ever affect your personal life and your personal relationships, sexual ones?
3: Yeah, I'm a lot more discerning now about my sexual relationships. Um, I have to be very sure that a person I have sex with is going to be very, very careful with me and very considerate of me and kind of, like, cherish me because... You know, I don't really get that in my day-to-day life. And it also means that I'm very turned off by, like, just, like, fucking. I think what I crave more now is, like, intimacy. Because, obviously, I'm not really getting that at work. Uh, I'm getting, like, fake intimacy. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Tenderness.
1: Yeah. Rather than performative. Mm.
2: I love that word, to cherish. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, being held Um. and yeah nice and what are the even though they're rarely used what are the kinky things that are are on offer
3: i don't want to generalize lots of workers do very very hardcore things i can only talk about what i do in my experience clients say that they want domination but really they want me to go on top and i think that's, that's as far as it goes for them yeah
1: that's about as much as women taking control as they can manage. Uh, they can
3: manage, yeah, even Gosh. not that sometimes. um so I do like bring toys every time, like I have like nipple clamps. I have a strap on they always say they want strap on, and then I get there and they they never want it. It's always too much of a bruise to their ego. Um, once, a few times, I've actually done the whole shebang in a dungeon. I've, like, used a cane, all of that. Those tend to be, like, they don't want sex. That's completely different. They want kink stuff. It, they would might consider it cheating to actually have sex. They just come for very specific BDSM stuff. That they can't go anywhere else.
2: I can imagine. Is that more palatable for you to do that kind of stuff? Because it's not involving a penetration of your body?
3: no. I think the idea that like the more penetrated I am the more like intimate is I think that comes from like very old school well yeah maybe it comes from horphobia. I mean for me what's considered more intimate is if like is am I comfortable with doing it like I'm not very used to having sex with men but I feel like just Of being a woman like I just knew how to do it before I even did it like you just get raised like knowing how to please men in that way whereas like domination like hitting and whipping and stuff like that that takes a skill set that I'm still not very used to so it's actually more uncomfortable for me like sex is easy with men you know you just lie there and flop around a bit um like I'm quite it just comes quite naturally
2: Yeah. So I feel like we're taught know. it from a very young age yeah, it's from weird, the right? whole like lay back and look at England to yeah. oh, I remember being taught even as a teenager pop a finger in it and make it happen quicker Yeah. and then it's done the idea is just get it done over yeah, exactly. and quickly you know? yeah. this is making
1: me feel so profoundly depressed about men
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and perhaps it should but
2: you do have pleasure in your own life as oh, you yeah, say yeah I do Com- from yeah, completely. more tender oh
3: yeah not even tender but just completely different ways of having sex like ways of conceptualizing sex like for these men it's really interesting i think the funniest thing for me is that um sometimes they'll want to come twice in a booking which is fine so they'll have a blowjob and they'll come and then we'll have sex and they'll come you know if they come from having a blowjob it's not considered over for them they're like okay you need a bit of recovery time But if they come from having sex even if it's like 10 minutes through they'll just go home because it's so ingrained in their minds that sex is over when they come through missionary sex um that's the kind of sex i'm talking about like really really like unimaginative just patriarchal sex um that's not the kind of sex i'm having in my personal life so it's a completely different world like i don't conceive of sex as ending when someone has come for example that's just one tiny thing every sex worker like sets her own boundaries um there's a book called playing the whore by melissa grant i think um i'm missing out on middle name i don't remember what it is um but she has there's a great bit which talks about how different sex workers may negotiate consent for example people commonly think of street workers having no autonomy and no rules over their own consent but a street worker might say i'm going to meet you here You have to give me your number plate that i'm going to send to a friend has to be at this public intersection that's a way of negotiating consent so for me it's like i don't do these services um but i do these you need to ask me before you do this but i don't mind if you do this and it's listed on my profile i tell them before they come that's how i negotiate consent like you know if they violate that i consider that a violation um but within that it's fine like i've set my boundary in the work
1: what frustrates me and infuriates me is the fact that if they cross that boundary which you have very clearly stated Mm -hmm. you you have no recourse oh
3: no 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 and they know that and they kind of use it like to their advantage i think you know they know how vulnerable we are and that's why i think it's really important for people if they want to save or whatever rescue sex workers um you know don't bother with like sex workers or clients like Think about how they talk about sex workers in their own lives because when people talk about us like we're stupid lowly whores prostitutes hookers whatever it feeds into a general environment where we are worth nothing and then it gives clients the the very like legitimate given the context like idea that we are nothing and so they can abuse us when people stand up for us and they say no say sex work not prostitute don't use the slur no this is a real person no treat this person with respect no give her labor laws Clients think, okay, well, I can't just do this without any kind of repercussions. Um, I have seen it happen. Like, it does make a difference when even just one person treats us with respect. Um, so I think there there is hope. Like, it just involves people taking responsibility for how they talk about us. And I think so often we're just jokes. Like, we're, not, we're just kind of drains. Like, people just, we're so easy to make jokes about because we're considered, like, broken women. Um, but like there are such simple ways that people can kind of help us with our clients without even realizing that's what they're doing.
2: I was wondering what the very, your very first gig was Mm. like.
3: Oh, it was really funny. Um, I was really nervous. I hadn't had sex with a man in like three years. I didn't even know how to. I actually Googled it on the way there. Wow. Uh, It was like a WikiHow article. It was really uninformative. Um, (laughs) I even had the illustrations. I was like, I don't know what to do. (laughs) And I was like super nervous. And I got to the in-call place. And I was like pacing around. He was really late. And I thought, okay, he's never going to turn up. He paid a deposit. So I thought, well, why won't he? But um, I thought he was just not going to come. And he came like, you know, 20 minutes late. um, And then I was like, do I take all the money? I'm really confused. What do I do? And I just had no frame of reference. So I just took what he gave me, which was all the money. Like, thinking back, it was so lucky that he did that. I don't know what would have happened if he'd only paid me, like... For those 10 minutes that he stayed. But anyway, um, I'd planned this whole like seductress routine because I was like, men love sex. I need to be a sex god. And I started the whole, the routine. But I, yeah, him, like all my other clients after that have not wanted any of that. They just want to fuck. And he was just like, okay, get on the bed now. And I was like, oh, it's that easy. And then he just put it in me. And then we had sex for about like three minutes. And then he was done and then he went home (laughs) and that was it. It was that easy. And I was like, oh, that's literally all it takes to have sex with a man. Um, Wow. Obviously, my experience of having sex with women is like completely different. Um,
2: I mean, I'd want this seduction (laughs) of the show. (laughs) Yeah, who wouldn't? I'd prepare this
3: whole routine. Like there was like a dance. Actually makes me laugh to think about it now. There was like, like, like strategic kissing. It was all timed to the minute. And he didn't want any
1: of it. I love the fact you've planned it. It's like a lesson plan. It's like, right, we're going to do this. like, I plan everything like that.
2: I was wondering actually about how your autism feeds into the sex work. Yeah. Yeah, It's like a Venn diagram.
3: Oh, definitely. I probably couldn't draw it that way because I'm not very good at maths. or like diagrams. (laughs) Me neither. Yeah. Um, Um... Yeah, so, like, being autistic definitely contributed to me doing sex work, like I said before, but also, like, within work is actually really good for me. I'm very methodical. Um, I'm you know like to survive in the world in a like a world of like sexual inter- social interactions that I don't really understand I've like gotten really good at mirroring and like learning scripts for certain conversations and like having personas that I use that are just extensions of myself but they are like performing sex work is just another way of doing it but just with sex like right at the end um so like I mirror my client's accent and they always say, wow, you have such a new tracks. And I'm like, yeah, funny how that works. Um, I mirror what they say. Like, I mirror words. I mirror body language. Um, I just, like, I'm really good at adapting to what they need in that moment. And that is what sex work comes down to a lot of the time. Um, and also, like, the actual practical work of, like, admin and stuff. I can be very methodical and, like, very driven. Like, very kind of to a fault. Like, very like single-minded with what I need to get done um so it actually works really well for me and like um I think I don't know the figures exactly but the statistics for autistic people who are like in full-time employment are really really low and I only know this colloquially like casually but um lots of sex workers I know are autistic and I feel like there must be some kind of you know there must be so many of us like or at least neurodiverse people um,
1: who might be more excluded or not fit in with yeah. the patterning that you have to manage if you are going to do a forty day Oh, definitely. Forty, day, 40 yeah. hour, nine till five yeah. every single day. And the day. exhausting
2: yeah. social politics. No? Oh, yeah, that's exactly
3: what it is. Like at least in sex work, like my my services are laid out really exactly, and so like theoretically if they read my profile, they should know what they're coming for. When I, when I worked in an office, I was so exhausted because I felt like things were being said all the time that I didn't really understand and I couldn't pick up on them. And it was just really distressing all the time to feel like subtle career politics things were happening and I couldn't get involved. Whereas in my job, Actually, it's the opposite. I have to be really clear. I have to say, I don't do this. I do this for this amount of money. Um, you can touch me here, but you can't touch me there. Um, That's actually It's been really, really good for me, actually.
1: Do you find that difficult? So, I mean, it sounds like you don't find it particularly difficult being clear, whereas I imagine some people find yeah. it incredibly difficult. It
3: depends. Like Sometimes I find it really hard. If a client is very big physically, I don't do that because it's too dangerous. If it's a client who I think I could overpower physically, then I do it. If it's a client I know i've known regularly then yeah i do it um sorry
2: when you say do it are you talking about laying down rules laying down
3: rules yeah yeah yeah. um so like if i've had time to screen them um on different platforms like check their numbers and stuff and i know that they've come up safe then i will lay my boundaries down if i have if i haven't had time and i don't know who they are or if they give me weird vibes then it's easier to just take a freeze response to it and just let whatever happened happen which is terrible but that is how a lot of women and sex workers cope with assault. Yeah,
2: yeah you you were going to ask actually earlier about how do you yeah. cope mm. um, with your mental health when yeah. when things happen to you that you feel is a violence against you.
3: I'm really lucky in that I have a few friends who are sex workers and so we can talk That's the most important thing like just being able to talk about your job without the fear that it's going to take on other meanings. That's a form of violence that happens to sex workers that I think people don't really realize. It's like we become kind of like blank holes that people just like shove meaning into whatever they want and it's quite violent whereas when I can go home and just talk talk about my job and I know that no one's kind of layering it with like oh this is what it reveals about misogyny. It's just a relief. Also like my animals are really important to me and just being able to be around them makes You're me feel really cat. good. Yeah, well, I have quite a few. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm a professional cat lady. Um,
1: yes. But yeah, they're really, really important to me. They just make me... F- they give me a lot of perspective on a lot of things. Do they give you some sort of consistency and attachment mm. and security? Because I imagine that you can't really get that from the men.
3: It depends. I mean, the animals I work with have been quite abused in their past. So they have their own like, attachment issues. But... I don't really approach them with the kind of, I could do a whole podcast about my cats, but I don't approach <laughs> <you> them. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, like, I don't approach them with the kind of intention to like form a wand with them. They can just do whatever they want. I'm just there to like nurture them, do whatever they want to do. So it's not really about that. It's just, I think like even being able to watch them just exist makes me feel like there's a whole world going on outside of me and these animals are so self-regulating really helps me regulate myself
2: there's been a lot of research done about the therapeutic effects of animals yeah. and i gotta say when i got my cat i mean yeah. my oh, yeah really helped my depression yeah hugely yeah
3: they're great aren't they yeah they just do their own thing mm-hmm. like how is that they're mm-hmm. just
1: so present you've gone through all these experiences and all this um experience has happened to you mm-hmm. um and ha- what has sex work sort of taught you about i mean about so many groups of people i want to know about what's taught you about clients about mm. men about um yourself
0: mm.
3: maybe i'll take it in groups please do um so about men <laughs> about clients is just reinforced what i suspected which is that i never want to have sex with them and men are not worth my time um i'm definitely a lesbian and i about work and about like the world of work it's also again like reinforced what i believe which is that work is like really really exploitative and i honestly think like freedom for me and so many people i know will come when like we just don't have to Work forty hours a week to survive, um and like being able to get a slight out of that system by doing sex work has been amazing. It's taught me that I never, ever, ever want to go back to an office for thirty hours a week with like white women and like racism endlessly, just to survive. And it's taught me what I uh, what I don't want, which has been great. It's taught me my priorities. Like it's taught me to really value my time. Like now, when people are wasting my time, I feel it acutely because I'm like, I could be getting paid for this and like, you know, paid like more than enough for this. It's like helped me cut down on people that don't make me feel good and nourished because of that reason. It's like exposed a lot of misogyny in the world to me. Obviously I knew misogyny existed anyway, but you know, naively I didn't realize like at the root how much of it was about whorephobia. But even the people who will call themselves the most progressive feminists have a lot of latent hatred towards whores. And it's taught me that, like, feminism has kind of left us behind, or it's left us to the side, and we've just done our own thing. And uh, I think feminist movements in general have, like, a lot of work to do to catch up to us. About myself, it's actually taught me that I'm a very skilled person. Like, I valued that about myself before in some ways, but it's taught me that, like, I'm much better at, like, independent work and, like, just surviving on my own and doing my own thing and like making my life work for me. I'm, yeah, I'm actually good at it. And that's something that I've been able to be really proud of.
2: Thank you for listening to The Pleasure Podcast.
1: If you enjoy this,
3: do
2: share,
1: review and subscribe on iTunes.
2: It really does help other people find us and helps to give the series a boost. Please do give us five stars.
1: Thank you to Acast for hosting
2: us. Matt Peaver for editing us. Oli Birch for the music.
1: Gilad Visotsky for the graphics.
2: Join us next time when we interview another guest for their insights on the relationship we have to our bodies, sex, and of course, pleasure. pleasure.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.